Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here, and this is episode 19. In this episode, I interviewed my friend from college, Nicole Buchanan. We both went to UCLA together, and she was in uh, the Shenanigans Comedy Club that I ran. Uh, she's really funny. She's been doing stand-up for a little over three years, but been basically practicing like for many years before that, doing different odd jobs that help with her stage presence and comedy career. Uh, in this interview, we talk about uh, what it's like to move to Los Angeles from another city and how to just uh, hit the ground running and doing open mics, what kind of mics to do, and how to get stage time, etc. And then we also talk about the uh, roast battle at the comedy store and how to break into that scene. Nicole is the number one roaster on the West Coast. So we just talk a bit about her experience doing roasts. So without uh, further ado, here is the episode. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here. I'm here with my friend Nicole Buchanan, who is a very funny comedian. She was in the Shenanigans Comedy Club with me at UCLA, and we did a ton of shows together. She's hitting it almost every night. Uh, comedy. Okay, that sounded weird. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> no, I'm hitting it almost every yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> she's doing comedy almost every night. And uh, she's also the number one roaster on the West Coast, which is really impressive. So, hey, Nicole, how are you? Hey, what's up? I'm good. I'm just eating cereal. Cool. Thanks for dealing with my like odd botched intro. Um, it's yeah. okay. I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> what kind of cereal are you having currently? Uh, Reese, the fucking Reese's Puffs. Oh, nice. Ch- like, okay. I, I like that kind of cereal. The cereal <laughs> that's like they give kids for breakfast, but like it really is the opposite. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops are good. Mm-hmm. I feel like the um the lemon bread at Starbucks tastes like Fruit Loops. That's the all oh. I. That's all I know about Fruit Loops. I haven't had Fruit Loops in a long time. You should have them. They're good. Are you in LA right now? Yes, I am. Cool. I'm in, on my porch in Hollywood. Wow, I am in my basement in Connecticut. So it's very nice different and dark and different. So what did you say? Is it hot there? Um, it's like eighty degrees. I feel like it's the same there, right? Mm, it's been like one. It's been like over a hundred. Wow. Today it's a little bit cooler, but it's been like pretty bad, and I have no AC, so I'm just like sitting in a pool of sweat all the time. Oh wow, that's terrible. It's like swampy here, though. It's like when you go outside, it's just sweaty. Yeah. It's just very moist and humid. Oh, I hate that word. Yeah. So I want to hear about what you've been up to in comedy recently because we haven't talked in a while. So what is yep. your, sorry, what did you say? No, I said, yeah, we haven't talked in a while. Yeah. It's been a long time. So, um, I don't know. Let's start with what's your typical routine like these days in comedy? What are you doing every night? Um, I've been doing, uh, probably, I mean, I was doing a lot of open mics every night and I was writing and going up at 
at a couple open mics tonight. And then I, I started like going on the road more. Uh, a good friend of mine, Keith Carey, uh, headlines a lot of places and just started taking me to feature for him. And I realized how much more beneficial it was for me to do longer sets. And so I've been trying to do that as much as possible because I think it's way more helpful to me than just doing three minutes in front of comics. Um, Open mics, you mean? Yeah. So I started doing, instead of like hitting a certain number of open mics a week, I started telling myself do 45 minutes every week. So like if I had uh, three 15-minute sets, then that would be it. If I wasn't booked at all, then that's like fucking you know, 15 open mics. But, um, yeah, when I started doing longer sets, I found that was way more beneficial and I started getting booked more. So I'm doing, I'm doing the road and stuff like that a lot more. Um, where are you going? Like how far? Um, my most recent run was, uh, all the way up California. So like Fresno, Sacramento, uh, Santa Cruz, um, Blue Lake and Ukiah, like the Bay Area. Um, and that was really fun. I love getting out of L.A. Uh, it, it, like, reminds me why why I love comedy, whereas, like, in L.A., I start to feel like I hate it sometimes. Oh, God. Yeah, I bet. Because you're doing... <laughs> the mics there are just so brutal. It really just physically hurts. Yeah. It makes me not want to do comedy. <laughs> It's the mics and the people, but like you get out and realize that people are really cool and appreciate comedy. And um, I actually had when I was when I did Sacramento, I had like these people I went to middle school with that I hadn't talked to like since middle school come out to one of my shows. Whoa! It was so cool to talk to them because we barely even talked in, in middle school. I hung out with the girl, but I didn't really know the guy that well, and they just ended up. They hadn't seen each other since middle school, and then two years ago they reconnected, and now they're, like, getting married. What? But, uh, yeah. What the <laughs> yeah. hell? That's and they haven't even talked, like, since middle school? Yeah. And then That's they, so uh, odd. They ended up coming to my show, and then they invited me over. They were, like, big, like, beer people, so they, like, uh, showed me all these, like, cool beers and stuff, and we just, like, drank until, like, four in the morning. And she, like, started crying. She was, like real she was uh i think like over 200 pounds in middle school and had like you know problems with getting like made fun of and stuff and we were friends and so she was like by like three in the morning she was like crying and telling me how much of a difference it made that i was like nice to her and stuff and Aww, it was like that's a, so sweet yeah it was like a really um cool experience that just like happened to happen in Sacramento and um yeah I really like going on the road and just seeing different people and and hanging out with people in LA I don't like if I'm on a show in LA I don't like talking to people after shows like I just kind of get the fuck out of there as quick as possible um because it's generally like dudes being creepy or just like uh you know I I think uh I could do comedy or like whatever like it's uh fucking uh you normally don't think women are funny but you're really fun stuff like that but like when you go on the road people are just like really genuine and nice and cool to hang out with and um yeah so i i really do like getting out of la and going on the road more so that's been a goal of mine to just do that as much as possible that's awesome um, 
So I do like featuring for people. I recently did the Irvine Improv with Polly Shore. Whoa. Uh, and I'm hoping to to be able to go on the road with him more. Um, but yeah, it's been nice to get opportunities from other comics that kind of helps me get out of the open mic scene. That's super cool. I mean, in general, uh, how are you, how did you notice like you, uh, progressing from open mics to shows? How did that, I mean, how, yeah, how did that happen? Was it a long I process? Think, I think roast battle helped a lot because I started being seen at the comedy store and people started to like know who I was. And so I just started getting asked to do more things and booked more. I started getting more spots on potluck at the comedy store. Um, and so I, I really do think that roast battle was like a very quick route for me to, to start being able to do that because I started so quickly into comedy. Um, and so I just started being seen and, uh, yeah, I think mean, I think that helped a lot that it's a show that you can just kind of like book yourself and then showcase what you have, showcase like what you can do writing wise. And then you have the opportunity to be seen by people who are a lot more successful than you are. And there's not that many shows where you can just do that. You know what I mean? Like it's a very like you can kind of self make yourself. What do you mean you could book yourself? How does that work? Well, um, there's undercards. So Whatever you like did a, just now, by the way, made your mic sound better. Oh, really? If you changed something, I don't know you did. I moved the cereal bowl over. <laughs> <laughs> you just like became um, very clear. But I, uh, what was I saying? Oh, um, there's undercards kind of like in like a boxing match or whatever, uh, there's undercards and then the main event. And so anyone can do an undercard. You just go up in the first few battles um, and you message whoever, Brian Moses or Jay Light, and you tell them you have an opponent because you find your own opponent. And then they book you for a date and you do an undercard. And then if you keep doing that and you're doing really well, then eventually you can do a main event. So it's kind of a thing where you... Um, Nobody has to reach out to you and book you uh, as it is right now. Like anyone can just message and be like, hey, I want to do this. If you do bad, it's probably the worst experience in the world <laughs> um, because they're going to shit on you. But uh, oh, yeah, and probably not book you but, back. <laughs> no, no, they will, because that's what's great about roast battles. Even if the people who that's why they'll book anyone, because even if the battle is really bad, that's still funny in a way because then you have the judges who are all you know professionals who are going to shit on you you have the hater you have a whole uh machine like the whole show is a machine there's just so many different moving parts to it that even if the battle is bad then it it just gives them more to shit on and it's still funny which is the great thing about that show so it either it gives you a chance to bomb, but then they can still make the audience laugh. And then, so it's, it's, uh, created so that the show is still good, even when it's bad. That's and then so if cool. you do well, 
it gives you a chance to flourish and be seen by people that can really help you out. Jeff Ross has helped me a ton. Um, so. Wow. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a really great show for, for newer comics. I think, I don't think that many shows give the opportunities that roast battle has, um, to newer comedians. That's so cool. I definitely want to go into roast battle at length. Um, but before that, I kind of want to talk about, go back to the mics in LA and shows and stuff. Kind of, I guess maybe the less interesting stuff for now, but I think the roast battle, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm moving to LA in August mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's a big concern of mine, like the stage time, because I, so primarily I'm in Seattle now. That's where mm-hmm. I have my apartment and where I work. And the comedy scene there is, uh, I mean, I was kind of surprised, but it's actually like pretty good. Like the stage time's great. Like at, you go to open mics, like maybe 50 people come out sometimes. Um, like you'll get th- still like three to five minutes, but it's like a good amount of time. And then like, uh, cause like the quality of the stage time's good. Like people are listening and then you'll have right. some other shows that are like, or it's easy to get on that like, you know, for 10 minutes or, or feature or do 20 minutes. Like it's not uncommon to be able to very easily do like 45 minutes to an hour a week. Like that's not like that difficult to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of concerned, like going to LA, what that's going to be like, what that transition is going to be like. Right. Well, I mean, there are like so many mics out here um, and you can find ones that work for you. Like, I just drove out to Costa Mesa last night because there's a mic there that gets like a great audience and stuff. So if you are willing to make a drive, sometimes you can find mics that are really great and will give you more time. Um, And then like, it is rough like going to mics like at the comedy store, the improv, because that's where you want to go because you want to be seen or whatever but it's tough because it's harder to get up. Like you're not always going to get up and it can be very frustrating. Um, but I think the thing, the thing to do is to find mics that you really enjoy and that work for you. And, um, they're good ones. Uh, so how would you categorize the different types of mics? Cause from what I see, it seems like there's mics like the Hollywood improv and like the comedy store, like you mentioned where it's like, you go there maybe to get seen. And then there's some mics that they have a small amount of stage time, but it's like quality, maybe like West Side or improv space, in my opinion, where it's yeah. like a good crowd. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, maybe mics that are like longer sets, but maybe like worse quality of the stage time. Like, how do you, yeah, like, what are the different types? Um, I mean, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. There's ones that like, bars that nobody shows up to so they'll give you more time it really just depends on how many people show up because sometimes at mics they have a certain amount of time that they can be there and so the less people that show up the more time they might give you because they don't they don't have to get as many comics up but at the same time that sucks because then you have less of an audience because usually your audience is just the other comics at the mic yeah. Uh, especially in LA because in LA there's so much entertainment and stuff nobody is going to go sit in a bar and watch a bunch of open micers uh, whereas like I feel like if you go to somewhere like you know 
where people aren't trying to entertain you all the time, then people might sit there and be like, oh, comedy, cool. Whereas in L.A., if you bombard them with a comedy show at a bar, they're going to be like, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. So it really, it is more difficult, I feel like, to get audience members at at like a mic. But once you start getting booked, there are some great shows out here where you can get a good audience. Um, and then there there are some mics, too, if you go to the Ice House uh, on Wednesday nights. That's a very good mic um, where they get most of the people up and, you know, it's in a club setting and there's a good crowd of people. I like to go to the mics where, yeah, a lot of, like, newer comics will go because they uh, they're better audience members because they're new and they're still, like, excited and supportive and shit whereas if you go to a mic where it's like mostly people have been doing it forever they just want to go up and do their time they don't give a fuck about your set and so they'll just go and smoke outside until it's time for them to go on it's just very unproductive for me it's become more productive just to i'll meet up with some of my my friends um like some of my favorite my friends that are also some of my favorite comics um and we'll just run bits by each other and riff on them and come up with stuff. And that's been way more productive for me than going and trying out new material at an open mic. I'll just meet up with like five of my friends, usually the same ones. Um, Where it's like Keith, one of the people I said took me on the road. Uh, My friend Connor McSpadden, uh, Tom got like, I'll just people who I think are really funny and we'll all meet up and we'll just be like, oh, here's what I'm working on, and then riff and see like what we can come up with. And that's become way more productive for me than going to a a mic where I'm going up in front of five random people who don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely makes more sense. Just in terms of like, you want to develop your voice and you can develop it better with people that know your material. And also like, you're not even getting valid feedback if it's just five random open micers watching your set. It's not like real. Yeah. It's not a real and most response. I feel like most like good writing with comedians happens when you're just having a conversation with other funny people and then you're just coming up with stuff that way. So that's almost what it is. It's just like a set up conversation with other comedians so that you can come up with stuff, especially people you think are funny and yeah, know you pretty well. And it's a, it's a very productive way to come up with bits. I think it's interesting that a lot of people have a very fixed mindset where they have to like, oh, I have to do mics, I have to do mics. But like, it's just like this belief that's not necessarily tied to how much better you're getting. Well, I think in the beginning, that's really all you can do. Uh, When you first start, that's what you want to do. You want to hit as many mics as possible because you're also still meeting people. You're integrating yourself into the comedy community. You're learning just how to go up and be in front of people. And you're still learning how to do comedy. I think when you do first start stand-up, that is what you want to do. You want to write as much as possible and go up at as many open mics as possible. But once you start figuring out what you're doing, then you can find other ways and figure out what's the most productive for you. That's smart. That's a good point. Yeah. So what what stage are you kind of at? Like when you, when you do hit mics, uh, which type of mic do you hit most or – if you do all three, how do you balance them? The three types Usually you're talking when, about. When I do hit mics now, I feel like I know enough people to where I'm going to mics and people are just getting me up. 
um, or they're like, you know, yeah, just helping me get up earlier so I can just do my set and leave or whatever. That's great. And when I do, when I do mics, those are the ones I tend to do where I know I'll just get up and then I can go, but it takes a long time to get to that point where you're constantly going to mics and meeting people and people think you're funny. And then, you know, it takes a while to get to that point where you can walk into a room and someone will go, Oh, like I'll put you up or whatever. Like it, it doesn't so cool. happen right away. Uh, so yeah, that's why in the beginning you do need to go to a ton of mics and be working hard. And then eventually you do get to a point where you can just kind of go places and people help you out and get you stage time. It, it's really strategic to do that because I remember when I first <clears throat> was doing it in Seattle, um, coming from LA, I didn't know anyone and I would have to wait hours at mics. But after a while now I'm like, for at least a lot of mics, I can just get up and not have to worry about waiting three hours, which I think is yeah, testament to being part of the scene. Right. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Just like when you're integrated more in the scene, there's mm -hmm. a lot of benefits and there's obvious benefits for just going to mics a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> are you able to easily get 45 minutes, even even if you are uh, getting up at a lot of mics? Um, mm -hmm. Is it still difficult to get the amount of stage time you want and the quality that you want in L.A.? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it, it's definitely better to, to book things on the road if you want to get longer sets and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's just hard. Are there a lot of opportunities to get booked in LA? I mean, once you've been doing it long enough, yeah, I feel like I get booked enough in LA, but at the same time, it's still not, even when you're booked in LA, they're not usually long sets. They're more like showcase sets. So like, you know, five to 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, I don't think, there have been many cases where I've done 15 to 20 in Los Angeles. Uh, usually when I'm doing longer sets there uh, outside of that, if you do want to do longer sets in LA, you know, there's ways to do it. Like you can book your own show the way like you and Nathan did. Um, oh, and like you, you can... just make your own show. You just book a venue right. and produce. Give yourself as much time as you want. You know, the way for boy band you got, you did, 30 minutes or whatever because you booked it your way so then that, that's a way to do it as well if you run your own show that's stage time that's cool yeah. are, is there a lot of opportunity you think to run your own show and actually have I people mean, come out considering well, all the competition I mean, that's, that's the hard part is promoting it right anyone can run their own show you uh there's tons of places out here that will be like yeah i mean sure come do a comedy night you know if it helps them get more people into their bar or whatever they're doing um or the way you guys did it renting out a room there's plenty of opportunities to do that it is just uh a matter of of getting people out which i think is the hard part in la it is hard i'm gonna try yeah. to do that but it's hard yeah uh, anyway okay so uh how long have you been like hitting it really hard in LA, the comedy scene? Um, I mean, I started my senior year of college. Um, and then, so that was like 
to an out. I'll have been doing it for three years in October. Um, you made a lot of progress for three years. Like you're doing it very well for three years. Thank you. <laughs> you're 25. Yeah. 26. Yeah. I'm yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have friends that have been doing it for three years that are just bad, like not good <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely different levels of it. Um, there's people who do it more often. And so that obviously helps, but there is like a, I've always been a, a writer. So I've always had that skill of just writing um, and editing and whatever. Um, and then I also was a jungle crew skipper at Disneyland for a long time. Uh, oh, so I learned that's to, right. You I were talking to, to crowds a lot. Yeah, I learned how to be in front of people and stuff. That'll um, help. So that, that probably helped a lot. Even though I was doing like pre-written stuff, um, it helped a lot with, yeah, how to talk to people and be comfortable doing that. And so a lot of people where they spend their first year, I guess, just trying to to get used to performing in front of people and also writing and just figuring out what's going on. I feel like I was able to skip over a lot of that just because I was already a writer and I was al already used to speaking in front of people. And so um, I was able to just kind of get straight into the meat of what makes you good at comedy. That's really cool. I mean, a lot of people forget that Sure, everyone's like, oh, how long have you been doing comedy? And they say, like, a year to five years, ten years, whatever. You forget that there's also, like, the practice of just doing the tangentially related, like, Mr. Miyagi things. Like, I don't know, like, for me, it was, like, doing improv and <clears throat> just, like, sketch writing and also, like, being a tour guide at UCLA and just doing these little things that are going to help you with your comedy, even though they're not directly comedy. Right. There's so many different, like, parts do it and so and any little thing helps i can i can tell i uh run an open mic and um i can tell there there was a guy that went up that was like his hand was shaking and i could see it and i went up to him after i was like how long have you been doing comedy and he was like only a few months and i was like oh well keep going you're doing great but i could see it because i remember even even though i had experience with it the first couple open mics i went to i remember shaking because oh yeah you know, you're scared of what people are going to think. You want people to think you're good. And it's like extremely nerve wracking. So you have to, you forget that what it was like in the first few months where you were just like terrified just to go up and try three minutes. Um, I was very terrified now, for sure. Right. And I, I forget what that was like. Cause now like doing an open mic is no big deal. Um, but like when I first started, yeah, it was, I had to like get up the courage every time. So it does take a minute to get used to, I think. I agree. I mean, it's easy to forget, but it's there and it's really scary. And my hands were shaking a lot and I was really nervous and I would wear shorts and yeah, it was interesting. which is crazy to me because you did improv and you were so like, uh, you have to be so like free and like not care what people think. I feel like to do improv. That's why I can't do improv like at all because I think too much. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, that's very opposite in a way. You're supposed to not think, right? Like you're supposed to not have any kind of plan. You're supposed to just go into it and let it 
It so. might be the opposite to trend- traditional like stand up, but if you combine yeah. the two, it's very good. Like stand up's right. very much like calculated, prepared, like re- yeah. rehearsed. It's one person relying on themselves. Um, obviously, there's room for improv when you're doing crowd work, but then improv <laughs> is like you're relying on everyone else as well. If you mess right. up, you're fine, and you're it's not rehearsed. Well, I think that's it too, is that like, cause I'm, I can do crowd work, no problem. Um, but it's also just me up there. Whereas if I feel like if I have a responsibility to other people, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just suck at improv. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> I feel like you'd be good. I mean, a lot of people on both ends say there wouldn't be good at the other, but they're really just like yeah. too scared to try. I feel like or they don't want to do it. Probably just didn't do like, probably if I did it more. I'd be better. I bet you'd be great. If you can do crowd work well, you can do improv. Because it is, the a lot of people do be like, oh, I do one or the other. But it is, like, it's the more tools you have in your tool bag. Like, uh, Jamar Neighbors, very funny comic, he takes, like, clowning classes. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Obviously, clowning is a completely different thing. But it is able to help in certain aspects like anything you can do to just add to your repertoire of like what makes you good on stage is a benefit i don't think anyone should be like oh no i don't do that because why not like it that doesn't mean you have to do that on stage that doesn't mean you have to be a clown on stage yeah maybe there's some aspect of it that you can take from that and use it uh even if it's just like a confidence thing or like a um a i don't give a fuck attitude or whatever you can take from it exactly i don't see any reason to not at least try so i feel like improv is a good thing to do for any stand-up um the classes are expensive (laughs) i probably should have taken more advantage of the fact that you know, there was a club at UCLA and stuff, but I didn't. You know, there's so many opportunities to do things that'll help you with being a better performer or speaker. I mean, like even doing, if you're at like a little corporate job like me, you could do Toastmasters, which is like a, um, it's like a, a speech kind of club at, mm-hmm. at like corporate comp- or like companies. It's kind of funny because mm-hmm. it's a lot of people that are like very dorky maybe or scared to talk in front of people. But it's just another opportunity to talk in front of people and just get better. Like if you get better at public speaking, it's another skill that's related to stand up, but it's completely different because you're with stand up, your your comfort zone is people laughing after you talk. But with public yeah. speaking, your comfort is people being engaged after you talk, which is totally different and it feels different and it's kind of weird. But it'll, it might help right. you with like um, dealing with science or silence or dealing with like the maybe the spaces in between yeah. the laughs well that's a problem that i have for sure i get so uncomfortable with silence where like i'll start rushing my jet like obviously in a setup there's supposed to be silence there's no punchline yet and the laugh comes from the punchline but i've gotten so uncomfortable with silence for some reason like i feel like i constantly need to be getting laughs which you don't you know um sometimes the it the biggest laughs come with silence before, but it's just, I, I'd become uncomfortable with that for some reason. And so then I'll start rushing 
I'll start rushing the joke to get to the punchline and then it doesn't hit as hard when you're doing that. So I do have to become comfortable more with silence and whatever. I was watching Dave Chappelle, his special the other day, and he's just such a good like storyteller. Um, and like, you can hear the pauses, the silences. Same with the, uh, whenever I started listening to Pete Holmes, he has these jokes where he will just straight up not be talking. Like he'll stop and just let it sit for a minute and it makes it so much funnier, but you have to become comfortable with that. Um, which I'm not, I'm not comfortable being on stage and it being silent. I need the constant validation of everyone laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And, but it's something that'll make your jo- it'll amplify your jokes. Right. So it's, I think it is best to learn to kind of like slow down and stuff like that, which is something that you can get from just like basic public speaking. It's just like slow down embrace the pauses because then you're making the most of what you're saying instead of just rushing through it, which could be a detriment to you. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things to learn, I think. Uh, cool. So I want to dive into the roast stuff cause that's really, really cool. Um, so yeah, tell me about this roast. How does one, so you said you could sign up by emailing or Facebook messaging who? Uh, Brian Moses, who hosts the show, or Jay Light, who helps run it. Awesome. And how far out do they book? Um, it depends on like how slow it is at the time. Sometimes the first time I did it, it was like a month out. Sometimes it gets so crazy that it's like three months out, and sometimes it's a slower time, and you can get it like two weeks out. So it really depends. I feel like undercard there's definitely a longer wait time because there's more people who want to do it. And then once you get into main events, there's less people who are like main event people. So it's easier to get a quicker battle. Oh, that is so cool. I'm so excited. I want to do that. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So walk me through the whole process. Like, so it's, tell me about the undercard matches and how they go and, just like so everything the, I need to know about it. The undercards are three jokes a piece. Um, just tit for tat back and forth one round. And uh, yeah, usually your first time you do it, you'll go up, you know, either the first or second battle of the night. And, um, you know, you go up and Brian Moses hosts it. And, you know, he asks you why you wanted to battle the other person. You either make a joke or say something of why you actually want to battle them. And then uh, he brings the other person up and then uh, asks who wants to go first. And then you're off. You do each, each do three jokes and then the audience decides who wins in an undercard. That's it. Will, yeah. Wow. The judges will weigh in. Uh, but the audience decides on an undercard and then whoever the audience cheers louder for wins. Once you get to the main event, it's the judges who decide and the judges are usually like Jeff Ross and um, other comics who are more established or roast battlers or whatever. Um, Is Jeff Ross at every show? He's at most of them, especially before, like right before the TV show starts happening. He's at pretty much every single one. Like 
right now they're taping season three in a couple weeks. Um, so he's at every single one pretty much. Okay. Wow. So for the TV show, who's on the TV show? It's just main event people. Nobody knows yet. Um, <laughs> really? For season three, for season three, nobody knows yet. Uh, season one uh, was a lot of like comic, like there, like Ralphie Mae was on it, and like uh, stuff, and only a few. I think Olivia Grace was on it, who came from the live LA show, and uh, Earl Skakel was on it, who also came from the live LA show, um, Sarah Tiana, but. Uh, then in season two, they pulled more from the actual roast battle show. So like people like Frank Castillo, Keith Carey, Joe Dosh, uh, Leah Kajanian, Olivia again. There were like a ton more people who they pulled from the people who do the actual live show. Uh, and then Frank Castillo ended up winning the whole tournament. Wow. And then uh, I have no idea what they're doing yet for season three. Uh, it's crazy that nobody's heard anything yet and they, they're taping in two weeks, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, everyone should watch. They're taping on the, the 24th, I think. And then it should be airing soon after that. I think they're waiting till after the Bruce Willis roast on Comedy Central because everyone's kind of occupied with that right now. So they're recording in two weeks, but no one knows who's on the show. As far as I know, yeah. That's crazy. Which, I mean, isn't uncommon because, like, my friend Keith told me he didn't know who he was battling till like, 10 days before they actually battled. So, for but the day. did he know he was battling? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how, uh, I don't know when they told him that, but. Do you think you're going to be on it? I don't know. <laughs> wow. I'm trying not to get my hopes up. That's um, interesting. But we'll see. Is the roast battle TV show different from the live roast battle? Um, I mean, vibe wise, yeah, because it's not it's not recorded. I don't know if they're gonna record it in the belly room for season three, but seasons one and two have not been recorded in the belly room, which is a completely different vibe. And um, where are they recorded? Yeah, the, well, season one was recorded in Montreal. Uh, at Just for Laughs, and season two was at the House of Blues um, in L.A., and uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's different than going to the live show where it's so packed and, like, in into a small room, and it's almost, it feels like almost like an underground boxing match, and I think that's what makes it so cool, um, but it's, it's definitely different when you put it in kind of a theater-type arena or whatever, Um but the elements of the show are all the same. It's just, you know, the judges, they even have the, the wave and stuff like that. Uh, but the um, it's definitely a different environment when you put it in a different room. Uh, I've never been to the New York show because they have the New York version at the stand. And uh, I don't know how that room is. But, yeah, it definitely takes on a different vibe when you put it in a different room. Um. Is it like more PC? Because isn't the wave less PC and live? Um, I mean, I guess they did some pretty crazy shit on the Comedy Central show. Um, but you do have to submit your jokes to 
Comedy Central before you do them, whereas with the live show, it's like anything goes, you know? Yeah. Um, they so, need to make sure you're not unacceptable. Right. And I don't think they, they control too much. Like, I feel like it's still a comedy channel, and and as far as I know, it was pretty much... Uh, people did what they wanted, but they just have to make sure people don't go too crazy, I guess. Interesting. Okay. So let's go back to the, the live show stuff. So Mm -hmm. for the undercards, you're literally only doing three jokes. Yep. One round, three jokes. And then even the, once you get into main events, they now kind of just test you with doing one round, five jokes. Very few people do the three rounds anymore. Interesting. That used to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're pretty quick then, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so, wow. it's so crazy because you spend so much time, like, worrying about it and shit, and then it's over before you know it. And, uh, yeah. How long will those three jokes last, you think, in an undercard match, like, the whole round? Um... Five minutes. Wow. So it's like, it's short. Okay. Five or six minutes. But then, yeah, they like, usually the judges say stuff before and then they weigh in after and the hater will jump in and they'll just kind of like riff on it and stuff like that. So the whole like thing lasts longer than like five minutes, but probably the actual jokes. Yeah. Like five minutes. Um, it's a, it's a fast, it's a fast paced thing. Um, Interesting. But it's some of the most fun you'll ever have on stage if you're doing well. Because there's stand-up. When you do stand-up, you can have a good crowd and stuff. But roast battle, I feel like, is the closest you're going to get to, like, like an old-school, like, Def Jam crowd. <laughs> where they're, like, getting out of their seats and, like, they're so, like, hyped. It's, it's a feeling you won't get anywhere else, I feel like, with the reaction you get to your jokes because they're so brutal and um like no holds barred and then there's just this crowd of people who's like so hyped up and the energy in the room is just like palpable and i feel like it almost becomes addicting to do that show because it's it's not like any feedback or or response you're gonna get from any stand-up crowd that's so cool. It's like a little cult following kind of show too, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So what's the progress like from going uh, from, what is it, undercard to main event? How, what's that journey like? Um, I feel like one day when I met, I had uh, an opponent and we messaged Jay and he was like, all right, you guys are going to do five jokes. And uh, so I was like, oh, cool. And so that was like my first trial, like a main event. And then I did like a few more of those. And then um, eventually when I went to battle my friend Keith Carey, who had been on the TV show and whatever, then they gave us three rounds. And then that went so well that then I was just a three round main event person. So it's really just, they start giving it to you whenever they feel like you're ready for it. So three round main event still exists. Is it just more exclusive? It does. It's just more, uh, it's not as often. In fact, like tonight there's a roast battle and the main event is only five jokes. 
Interesting. So is it like the the best people do three rounds? Right. Because I think they realized when they were giving everyone like three rounds that like that was too long if it was a bad battle. You know, like if after the first round it's a bad battle, like no one wants to see two more rounds. So they are only give it to people who they know are going to like kill it so that it's not like a bad battle for three rounds. Wow. So you, you skipped right to the three rounds though. No, I did five Joe's. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, yeah. For a while, actually. I did um, a few of them. How long did it take you to do uh, to go from undercard to main five jokes? I think my first main event was I had done uh, five battles. Wow. Yeah, I did five battles, and then they gave me a main event. That's awesome. Over the course of how much time do you think has passed? Uh, it for those five battles. Yeah. Um. Like, wow! I was doing a lot of them in a short amount of time. I think maybe eight months. Um, because I, I remember I did after. My first battle, I did another one maybe three months later, but then I did my second one, third one, and fourth one all within like a month and a half. Wow. Um, Because I had booked my second one, and then I, after I did my second, oh no, I booked my third, my fourth, and my fifth all within like a month and a half. Because after I did my second one, I already had one booked for a month later and then another one booked after that, two weeks after that. But then after my second one, um, another comic who I had dated challenged me to a roast battle. Oh, yeah, and they were so excited to see that. They basically gave us a spot in between my second and third one that I had booked. And so then I was doing one like two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. And so I did three of them very quickly. That's why. Um, yeah. Um, so. Wow. How did you prepare for these battles? What, or I guess, how do you prepare? Um, it's a hard question because, like, it's hard for me just to sit down and think and write. Uh, so generally, I just go about my life and things come to me, which started to become a problem because, like, there would be times where, like, things just wouldn't be coming to me and I'd have like three days left and not have anything. Um, but now I've gotten better to where I just sit down and I can usually knock it out in one or two days. Um, the more you do it, the easier it gets. But, um, yeah, I would just listen to podcasts that they were on, ask them stuff about their lives and get to know stuff about them. And then, uh, write the jokes and it happened differently for each person. I feel like. Are there certain types of jokes for roasting that you like more or stick to more than others? I, like, I mean, like I generally, I used to say I don't like roast jokes, but what I really don't like is like the formulaic ones that everyone does. Cause there are people who stick to the formula. Like you look like this or, um, you, uh, 
blah blah is this race and this race which means blah 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 blah. like there there are certain like kind of formulas that you can just plug in and i hate those um i like to do things that are different and play with the format and stuff and that's what i like about it is doing different formats that maybe haven't been done before and uh just having fun with it because i feel like people take it too seriously it's a comedy show because they put it in like the format of like a competition people pay attention more to that than the fact that we're actually just supposed to be making people laugh yeah so um how do I think you that's okay sorry what are you saying i just think that's the most important thing to remember is that it's a comedy show and like winning and losing isn't really the objective it's like having a good battle and making people laugh that's what people pay attention to and being a good joke writer that's very true how do you verify that like your jokes are funny and not too harsh or like yeah i used to run them them at open mics but now i just kind of run them by other roast babblers and uh do it for the first time on stage and sometimes it misses but at this point, I think I, I've i done it long enough to where I know what works. But for my first battles, I did run them at a couple open mics in front of other comics and stuff. Okay, that's cool. That definitely makes sense for people starting out that don't necessarily yeah. have that resource yet. Right. Um, I, I definitely do jokes like, I'm trying to think, like appearance jokes are so easy because you don't even need context about the person. Like one mm-hmm. of my friends is like a ripped Asian dude and... I just have a joke. I'm like, you look like you used to bully kids at like Kumon Learning Center. And mm. like, I don't know, things like that are easy because it's like appearance based. But how do you know like how deep to go? And like, how do you make sure like, how do you know if the audience would even like know what you're talking about? As far as roast battle I feel like nothing is too deep but yeah you do have to make sure because the reason look jokes based on looks still work and they're they're great as long as they're creative and stuff um and they work because uh it's better to do shorter joke like cut all the as much fat out as possible um but when someone can see the person then that's cutting out part of the setup you don't really need a setup when they can see it. Them looking at the person is the setup. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, you do have to make it in a way to where if you are presenting deep information about them, you have to do it in the setup and find a way to do it as quickly as possible. So that can be difficult sometimes. Do you have an example of any – I mean, it's okay if you don't because it's really random. But do you have an example of any, like, jokes that have done well? I don't know, on your phone or something, like, readily available? Uh, yeah, well, like, so, uh, an example of that is, like, you can also do a joke where you're making fun of their looks and also giving something about their life in the setup. I battled a big, fat guy who was very round. and um, Very round? He thought, yeah, he was a very round person, and so... In the setup, I said he's bipolar, which is an actual like fact about his life, but it's a very short setup. And then the punchline was like he's actually a globe with a north and south pole. <laughs> so you can do um, jokes about their looks and stuff. I don't think that's like hacky or bad. It's just 
uh, the whole like you look like this person and this person put together like yeah. those more formulaic and stuff. But I don't think it's bad to jokes about the rules, especially since it cuts out part of the setup because you can see exactly what they're working with. But if you can throw something that's more deep and personal into their lives, then it, it's uh, more specific and less hacky. I mean, just like in stand-up, if you're talking about something that's more specific to you, then it's less likely to have been done before. Interesting. So you kind of, it seems like you keep your setup short to maybe you say a fact and then you make a joke about it. Um, yeah, I think it's better to keep the setup short. Uh, and once you've been doing it longer, you can probably play with that. But in the beginning, I think it's better just to, to keep it as short as possible. That's cool. Do you have any specific types of roast jokes that you consciously think about? What do you mean? Uh, I don't know. Just like, uh, similar structures that you reuse maybe. Or is it usually, yeah, Um, like it kind of like, like this is, uh, okay, I could do, I don't know. I don't even know how to think about it. (laughs) I don't think I have any like formulas that I write with at all. Um, I just like write a list of things that I know about them and try and make connections in my brain. Uh, So that's your process. You just like write a list about everything you know about them first. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's so cool. I definitely want to do it when I get down to L.A. You should, yeah. You should battle Nathan. Oh, I really want to, and I will. Although I don't know, I don't know how much he liked doing it when he did it. But, uh, did he get sad? I don't think so. I think he actually wrote it with the guy he did it with. Oh, which yeah. Is, like he cheated. Um, an interesting tactic that some people take. Yeah, we roasted once, and he's like, hey, should we tell each other our jokes before we go up? I'm like, isn't that like the opposite? Shouldn't you not do that? I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know if roast battles really Nathan's thing, but yeah, if you can find an opponent, you should get into it. Cool. Do you have uh, any other tips or advice for people that want to get into the roasting world? Um, yeah, laugh at the jokes, have fun with it, and own your flaws, and. Uh, just keep the jokes as short as possible. I love it. Do you have any? Ooh, okay. Um, was that me? God damn it. Do you have any, um, th- plugs you want to say before we was- end? We get a message. I think we just got a message in the same group message. <laughs> uh, do I have anything I want to plug? You said? Yeah. When does this come out? <laughs> Are your listeners in Connecticut or Seattle or LA? Everywhere. Worldwide, worldwide, I have like one listener in each state. Oh, dope. Uh, well, one listener in LA. I have, I don't know when this comes out, but I have a show tomorrow in San Diego. And I have a show on Friday at the Comedy Store uh, called The Hella Show in the Belly Room at, I think, uh, 11. <laughs> and uh, other than that, just come to Roast Battles and watch it on Comedy Central when it comes out. Sweet. Do you have any place people can find you on social medias? Oh, yep. Uh, at Nicole Buchanan on Twitter, N-I-C-O-L-E-B-E-C-A-N-N-O-N, and uh, at Nicole underscore Buchanan on Instagram. Excellent. Cool. Well, thanks. And my phone number is 714. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
All right, thanks, Nicole. Hey, guys, thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin NASA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.